is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 171 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Stephanie Detlefs all about how to raise the emotional stakes in your novel. But first to last week's question, which was, tell me something you love about yourself. Dharma Kelleher said, I just want to send some love to Sasha Black for sharing her heartfelt breakthrough on falling in love with her new writing projects. Forgive me if I'm misstating and falling in love with herself. You're not misstating. Uh, Many of the lessons I learned when I got sober 26 years ago, especially learning to love and accept oneself as is, flaws and all, have translated well into learning to enjoy my author journey. Just as I can see myself as a work in progress, I can see my unpolished drafts as works in progress. Not shit, not garbage, simply works in progress, exactly as they should be, no judgment. It has also helped to fend off some nasty uh, voices of imposter syndrome. I don't have to pretend to be anything that I'm not. I'm simply someone who enjoys writing crime thrillers about queer women kicking ass. It doesn't matter if there are people who don't like it. I like it. Sending love to all my fellow rebel authors, love yourself, fall back in love with writing and trust your process. Oh, I love that. Tom Fowler. (laughs) Oh, this is amazing. Tom, I love this comment. Tom says, I love my competitive nature. Hashtag number one competitions. (laughs) Fight me, you bastards. Oh, spoken like a true number one competition. I love it. Okay, this week's question is, are you a lover or hater of New Year? The book recommendation this week is A Dowry of Blood by S.T. Gibson. Now, this is a vampire novel. It is historical fiction. I know, I know. (laughs) For all you historical writers who always have the bugbear that I always say I don't enjoy historical fiction, we finally fucking found one that I love. And I loved it so much that I read it in two sittings, I would say. And it is fantastic. It's written uh, in the second person. So I will be honest and say it did take me, I would say 10 or 15% of the book before I really got into it because it was written in second person and that can be quite jarring. But nevertheless, it is extremely beautifully written. And it's kind of a letter to Dracula, I would say, from Dracula's Wives. So yeah, I, oh, 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 and the other bit that I loved about it is that it had queer relationships in it and it was polyamorous. So it was extremely um, interesting. Not very steamy, I would say. There are some some scenes in there, but uh, not to the level of steam I usually read. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, but nonetheless, I highly recommend this book. I thought it was fantastic. It's beautifully written and it was really easy to read quickly as well. So yeah, that is my book recommendation for the week. So in personal news and update, I got back my audiobook files. I have now uploaded them and they are winging their way through the interwebs, through the ACX and Findaway uh, portals. And I am hoping that they will go through quickly and then I will organise 
the launch for the new year when I am back at work properly. Uh, for the rest of this uh, holiday period, even though you're going to hear this in January when it's all over, I have mostly been resting, I would say. I did some outreach for Ruby Row, uh, contacting TikTokers and Instagrammers and reviewers, sending out ARC copies. Don't forget, if you would like to be a advanced reader for Ruby Row and A Game of Hearts and Heist, which is a, a steamy lesbian fantasy romance, then please do drop me a line. I still have some spaces if you would like to uh, join the street team or be a reviewer. So yeah, please do drop me a line and I will leave links in the show notes. So I have done that. I've done the audiobook and um, I think that's mostly it. And then the rest of the time I was relaxing and uh, being with family, playing games, building Lego, all of that good stuff uh, over the break. And yeah, ready to rock and roll back to work next week. I'm very excited. I'm going to try and write the cold reader magnet. So the one that I'll use to list build for Ruby uh, in about three days. It is a novella though, so it's not going to take, uh, it's not going to be like a full novel. And then I need to spend the rest of January writing book two, which is a full novel. <laughs> so I may need to make sure I get that done because I'm having, I've just commissioned the cover for the second book and the editor deadline is the end of March and uh, I want it on pre-order before the book, first book goes live. So that is, I think, everything. I don't think there's much to update because it's been the holidays. So I'm going to stop there. All right, the Rebel of the Week this week is Eden Collier. Now we know Eden has sent in a few stories from their nanny and uh, this, these have been, like they've just made my week every single week we've had them and this week is no different. So here we go. Eden says, my nanny is from a quasi-aristocratic family based in, nor in the north of Ireland who got fa uh, fabulously wealthy in the 1700s from a mix of colonialism, buying land during the potato famine and working for the East India Company. They got so wealthy, in fact, that they brought themselves a baron, then a peerage. Oh, wow. In other words, hella bucks. Anyway, big yikes aside, my nanny was born into a minor, minor branch of the family. So we're just about middle class. <laughs> anyway, in order to increase their social standing, my nanny's mother decided that she should be introduced to a wealthier cousin of about the same age. Nanny reluctantly went along with it and found out she got on with him quite well well. But then he proposed marriage. She realised she wasn't as keen as he was and asked her parents if she could go and train to be a nurse in Belfast, or better yet, London, and think about it. Her parents agreed, but instead of going to London, they sent her to Porthcurno, right near Land's End, under the watchful eye of distant relatives. Within a couple of months, <gasps> she had met, and met my granddad and quickly told the rich cousin where to stick it, i.e., <laughs> not in her <laughs> to which he was surprisingly understanding and went off to be a multi-millionaire oh what a story your nan is such a rebel she she i literally she she's an idol an absolute fucking idol i love these stories if you would like to be a rebel of the week please do send in your story it can be any kind of rebellion something big something small or something in between we are always in need of these rebel stories we are all like constantly running uh, low so please 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 do send them in you can email your story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. And there's actually a note in my show notes that says, please, please, 
ask people to send them in as we are running low. So if you do have a story, I'm begging you, please do send it in. No new patrons this this week, but a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. You guys are incredible. You help to keep the show running. You help to pay for my time and you make me feel like what I do is worthwhile and helpful. So thank you so much for your support. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This week's episode is sponsored by the ever amazing Pro Writing Aid, which I use personally to help do a proof before I send it to my editor. But rather than me tell you all the reasons I love Pro Writing Aid, I'm going to let one of my amazing patrons, Lynn Reed Aubrey, tell you all about why she absolutely adores Pro Writing Aid. Hello, my name is Lynn and I'm an author writing in science fiction fantasy. And I use Pro Writing Aid a lot. I highly recommend it. It is an amazing program and you can use it at any point while you're creating something. I usually use uh, Scrivener or Word or a handy napkin to write my ideas down. And then once I get it down on the page, I, I start editing and I use Pro Writing Aid to help pull out those weird grammar things. Like I ended a sentence with a preposition or what words I'm overusing too much. I really have an issue with the word that. I use that all the time. And I also misspell the word the. I'll have to look into that. See, right there, right there. Pro Writing Aid can help you with that. So I highly recommend it. There are so many different tweaks, uh, tools inside of Pro Writing Aid that you can use to to help your writing, to publish your writing before you send it to an editor. However you use it, just use it. Thank you. Okay, that is it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Stephanie Detlefs. Stephanie is a writer, certified book coach, teacher, and lifelong avid reader. She has spent decades working with writers of all ages in the classroom as a teacher and now as a book coach, where she's finding her own voice and holding space in which others can find their own. Stephanie is the author of middle grade novel Unspoken and host of the Let's Write Your Novel podcast. She lives in Pacific Northwest Washington with her family, two cats and a spunky pup. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Hello. Yes, he's spunky. We could talk about that all day long. <laughs> what does that what breed is he to make him spunky? Oh, he's um he's a mixed breed. He's just um that's a nice word for kind of a pain in my ass. Okay. So, um <laughs> Yeah, I love him so much, but yes. Oh, oh, bless him. Well, tell everyone a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I am someone who, when I was a kid, I was always writing stories and um, I planned to be an author. If you had asked me when I was eight years old, what I was going to be when I grew up, that's what I would have said. Um, I somewhere along the line, like many people do, I got the message that that's not a super reliable way to make a living. So I changed course in college. I had kind of an aha moment, um, that teaching elementary school was the perfect job for me. And it really was in a lot of ways. I loved so much of it. I taught for over a decade, um, off and on, (laughs) um, but 
In the U.S., um, especially and probably everywhere, teaching is a really hard job and getting harder by the minute. Um, and it's really a brutal job for someone who's highly emotional and perfectionistic, which I am. And so I actually quit teaching three times before finally doing it for good. Um, and I kind of quit the last time without a plan other than that I wanted to finish the novel that I had started and which was my middle grade novel Unspoken. So I was able to finish that. But my transferable passions from teaching and writing were that I I really love to help people tell their stories and get their stories into the world. So I started working with adult writers kind of here and there. Um, and then I found Author Accelerator in 2020 and became a certified book coach. I know you've, you know, Jenny, and we love that program. And so here we are. Now that's what I do for a living. Amazing. I love that. And I love like that, even though, how do I say this? Yeah. I mean, my wife works in education, so like I completely understand what you're saying. I think that teachers are some of the most special humans on the planet with some of the most unimaginable amounts of patience. Um, but they are severely underpaid, I think, in pretty much every single country in the world, um, yes. especially for the fact that you are crafting, you know, the the leaders, the inventors, the entrepreneurs, the creators of the future. So, um, yes. OK, so we are here to talk about uh, emotion and emotional journeys and emotional uh, prose and characters and novels, which are, of course, an emotional journey. So would you like to start by explaining why getting the emotional journey right is so important to create like a good story, a gripping story? Yeah, that's such a good question. And really, it comes down to, in my mind, it's the reason why we read. It's as humans, we're we're always seeking connection, we're seeking new understandings. Even if we're just reading a book for pure entertainment value, we're still wanting to connect with the characters to kind of see ourselves in that role, in that position, ask ourselves, what would we do if we were in it? Um, it's never a guarantee that someone's going to love our book, right? We can't we can't wave a magic wand and make that happen, but we can definitely increase the chances that a reader is going to connect with our book by working on and developing that emotional arc for the protagonist in particular, but also side characters. The plot, it gets the book into your hands. Usually, you know, you're interested in the subject, you're interested in what's going to happen, but it's the emotional journey that the characters go on that is why we remember it after we put it down or maybe even a year or five years later. It's why we give it to a friend and say, you have to read this book. It's because of that emotional connection that we had. Do you, I'm just going to throw something left field at you. Do you think that we, do you, do you think that certain genres or even each genre has kind of a overriding emotion? So like we go to romance for like the swoon emotion. Like, I don't know what the swoon emotion, well, we go for love, right? Like we go for <laughs> yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, do you think that each genre has kind of a, a core emotion that we go to it for? 
Oh yeah, that's a good question. I think in general, yes, like for sure, we go to romance for love, for passion, for that kind of squishy feeling you have at the beginning of a relationship. You know, um, we go to thriller or mystery for that kind of uh, tension that we want to feel, the jump scares. You know, all of those kinds of those kinds of emotions. Because I've always, and, like, when we talk yeah. about films, like, if I'm saying to my wife, oh, I really fancy a blah this evening. And it, and it's and it's usually because I want, I want to feel a certain way. But I have literally, until we started speaking, never thought about the fact that in a way I'm doing the same thing, but in with fiction, but maybe not as explicitly. So, like, you know, I would say, oh, I fancy a romance, like a rom-com, because I want to laugh and go, oh. Like, you know, yeah. and like, you know, and that is definitely a feeling that I go to that movie for. But I think I do do the same with with fiction, but oddly not so explicitly. And I can't I don't know why that is. Yeah, well, I think we all pick up books because we're in the mood to read something like that. Um, I I personally am going through sort of a, <laughs> a little bit of a dark night of the soul with my reading life right now, because I've always read really intense emotional books that lean a little more dark, um, not like thriller dark, but like bad emotional things are happening to the characters. And just with everything that's going on in the world, I can't, books that I normally would gravitate toward just are not, not doing it for me. And so I do think I agree with you. I think that we go to certain titles, certain genres, assuming we're going to feel a certain way when we read them. But I also think there's another layer of it that in an individual story, regardless of the genre that it's in, there's a emotional arc that the protagonist is going to go through. There's the expected things within particularly um, very genre specific books, there's a, an expectation that love is going to be in the air or that something scary is going to happen. But also the character is going through some sort of change within themselves. And we also connect to that because it's some sort of universal um, experience that they're having. And that's what, as a writer, we have to tap into a little bit and be intentional about. So I'm just like, I'm loving everything that you're saying. So, and, and it, you're making me, you're jogging me and making me think of other questions that I haven't oh, planned on asking. But I um, love it. So how does this work then with a flat character arc? Hmm. So you mean like where the character really does not change at all? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly I can think of another or a number of examples of that. I mean, the first one that always pops into my mind is like James Bond, right? Yeah, he doesn't yeah. really change. He's just James Bond all the time. And there certainly is space out in the literary universe for all kinds of stories. This is something that's a core belief of mine is that I am someone who is drawn more toward books that have or stories that have a really strong emotional component, but not everybody is. And I completely respect that. I think it's just important to consider that if, especially if a book is not so heavily plot driven, because like James Bond, just for an example, it's all about the plot. It's all about the action and adventure. And so 
there's less space for him to go through some sort of existential change, right? And we don't need that from him. But in other kinds of stories, the whole reason why the story is there is because the character needs to change somehow internally. Yeah. And so I think as the, yeah, as the writer, you just have to make that determination for yourself. Yeah. And I think that is probably the case for at least like 80 to 85% of books, unless you're doing like episodic, like detective-y type cases where the change is something else in the story. But even if you have like a long-term series, you still see characters grow over the course of the series, I would say. Okay, so so what do you think are the biggest mistakes that authors make when trying to create the protagonist's emotional journey? Well, I think that the biggest mistake is ignoring it altogether. (laughs) That's the biggest mistake because then what you have is a character who's just reacting to the things that are happening around them for no, and those reactions aren't serving much of a purpose. Whereas if they are, if the writer is intentionally thinking about why they're reacting the way they are, then that moves the story forward. So if something happens in one scene and the character has feelings about it, that's going to drive their decisions in the next scene. And that kind of emotional cause and effect is what readers tap into and go, oh, well, either I would have really felt the same way and done the same things, or I would have felt the same way and done something completely different. Or, you know, it's all about how we put ourselves into the mind of the protagonist and ask, even if it's just subconsciously, like, would we do the same thing in those situations? Mm, Okay. So when we think about like the emotional journey, and then we think about the plot, how do they work together? How do they compare? How are they different? Like how, how do they map with each other? Well, I kind of think of them, I'm a really visual person. And so my description of this is going to be pretty visual. Um, But I like to think of them as like a line graph, you know, that has two parallel lines, only they're not parallel, right? They're intersecting because at one point, the So if one of those lines is the plot events, like, hey, things are going great. Oh, now things are going badly. (laughs) Um, And we're moving toward an end goal that's external for the character. So that line is kind of going up and down on the graph. There's also a line for the character's emotional understanding of whatever lesson it is that they have to learn. And I'm not talking about a lesson like in Aesop's fables. I'm just saying they have a new understanding of the world. It's not a morality thing. So they're going to be moving up closer toward that goal. And then they're going to backslide a little because they're going to fall back into old habits of thinking. And then they're going to kind of make old choices again that are comfortable. And then they're going to start to move forward. There's a really, I feel like I'm not describing this very well. I'm going to, so I'm going to point your listeners and you to this really great five minute video on YouTube. That's Kurt Vonnegut talking about the shape of stories. And he draws really familiar stories like a line graph. And you see like the character is, 
is having positive experiences and then negative experiences is it's kind of going up and down. And I see the plot events, the external events and the emotional trajectory is just being two lines that are moving along side by side and sometimes intersecting. Because one co- causes the other in a, in a way, right? Yeah. So like the, the plot um, structure should be pushing and driving the emotional change. Yeah. Exactly. And the emotional change drives the plot because if they have had some sort of reaction to something and now they're feeling a certain way, they're going to make a decision that causes the events of the next scene, right? They're going to leave their partner or they're going to quit their job or they're going to yell at their kids or whatever the situation requires, you know, they're going to do something. And I think that what's regardless of how much time you spend plotting it out in advance or thinking about it as you write. What's important is to, in each scene as we're writing it, is we have to remind ourselves where we've been on the emotional journey so far and where we want to go next and kind of always keep that end goal in mind so that then we're setting the right and I say right in quotes, like the best emotional tone for that scene. Yeah, and that and it always changes. I think you don't you tend to not you tend to start in one uh, uh, status state state one state, and then you kind of shift or change up or down or or whatever, or you go up in the middle and come back down or, or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, so like digging a bit deeper, then how do you include plot events that have roots in like the protag- the protagonist's why or like their wound or their kind of core motivation but without just dumping because it we can very easily um find ourselves just dumping oh and back when blah 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 and all of a sudden we're just dumping backstory instead of weaving it and making it central to that moment so how do we do that more effectively yeah, that's so important. And it's so hard to do. It's so easy to just dump it in there. And honestly, when I am working with a writer who's on their first draft, I try to, I just like, just dump it, just dump it all out and we'll sort it, we'll sort it. But I think what's important to remember is that as the author, we'll always know a lot more about the character than the reader will ever know, right? Like that, it's a the reader's only ever going to see the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much more that we know about them. And I think that we can often be a lot more subtle than we think we should be. I think we have fear that the reader won't pick up on things when we've actually been pretty clear in what we've shared. So that's one thing is just err on the side of being a little more subtle um, I often have writers uh, start with just making a list of like three or four key memories that the protagonist would have from prior to the beginning of the story that brought them to this point. And those three or four memories are going to showcase how the protagonist got to where they are at the beginning and they can be woven in as flashback scenes, but they're kind of there at the ready. Like those are the three or four scenes that show what I need the reader to know. And then anything else that comes up, I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of that work just happens in revision, you know, and once you get people reading it and supporting you who say like, 
you're really dumping a lot of information in that chapter. Maybe we need to take it back a notch. Yeah. And I think it's also like important to put them at the relevant point. So like not just dump it somewhere random in a chapter, but like where, so like a memory where that memory, it then, hang on. So let me think about how to explain this. Where a, a memory's consequence becomes like effective in the present time of the plot. So if, for example, somebody nearly drowned uh, in a boat and then in the present time of the story, they've got to get on a boat. That is the right time to talk about that memory because it's relevant right there. And of course, the other time that is probably important to do it is also before then at some other point, maybe when they bring up a date to go on the on the yes. break. Because the other thing that I suppose that you can end up doing is it then feels like uh like you're convenient. It feels too convenient. So you want so you have to almost bring the things up more than once, like seed it. Is that right? Like that's yeah. how I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. totally. So to your first point, I think you're right. You have to be really, really intentional about where you put those flashback scenes so that they inform the the story present because otherwise they're just random flashback scenes and they're disconnected. And I think the second part of what you're saying kind of goes with what I was saying about being subtle, you know? So if they're invited on a date to go on a boat, that's where there could be sort of a hint at there's angst around going on the boat. And then as it gets closer, more and more of that memory gets revealed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. How can, let's go granular now and think about prose. How can we make our prose more emotional at like the sentence level? So I, I think that this (laughs) gathering my thoughts, let me think about this. So I think the key both at the sentence level and maybe like at the paragraph level is to get sensory and really drop into the character's body. So rather than saying she was angry, think about like, okay, if I was in her body right now, where would I be feeling that anger? So it might be the same as where you, the writer, feel that anger, or it might be something different. Um, I love the emotional thesaurus for this yeah. <laughs> for this purpose or for this purpose. Um, I have clients sometimes think about and make notes of where their protagonist feels certain emotions in their body. So, like, I personally feel anxiety in my chest and I feel shame in my face, right? I know that like that's, and there's heat that rises up. And if the, if we can kind of brainstorm some of those things off to the side of actually drafting, then when we go to write a scene where the character's feeling anxious, we can just pull from that. I also like to think about like associated colors and words that the protagonist might say in dialogue if they're feeling that way. I have a client right now who um, she's first drafting. So we're being very, she's just, we're just trying to get it on the page, but she, I told her last week that if um, she sees that she wrote the word feel or felt, then she needs to pause and go back like, or highlight it and come back to it or something because that she's often saying she felt anxious or she felt angry or she feels sad. And that's 
that's where we want to not be um, so surface level. We want to get a little more in their body. Yeah, I love that. One of my other favorite tricks, other than being sensory, which is is like my go-to as well. One of my other favorite tricks is to layer the emotion because I think that humans very rarely feel one thing in isolation. Like we are complex beings and we usually feel like at least two emotions, like especially around those pivotal plot points in a story where there is heightened emotion. Let's say somebody passes away. Sometimes you feel relief as well as devastating sadness. And one of the tricks that I use to show that is to have one set of emotion outwards. So be that in actions and dialogue and one and and a conflicting emotion internally, which is like the vis the visceral uh feelings and sensations. And like that is, I think, a way to deepen a scene um, and deepen a character as well. So that, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that one out I love that. I love that. And it's so true that we often, I mean, usually we're feeling more than one emotion at a time. And in a situation like where someone has passed away, we're maybe feeling feelings about our feelings. Like if we're feeling relief, then we're feeling guilty about that relief. And then we get mad at ourselves and then we get mad at other people because we don't want them to see that. So yeah, I love that idea of layering. Who talks about that? There's somebody who talks about those layers of having feelings about feelings about feelings. And I'm sure that like as humans, we can handle four layers of like having a feeling, having a feeling about that feeling, then having a feeling about the feeling about the feeling. And so you could only go four layers depth before we get confused. Yes. But, um, yeah, like I can't remember who, if anyone listening can remember who talked about that or or has read it in a book, please let me know because I'd love to go back and study that again. I would um, too. Okay. Any tips, tricks, strategies, or advice for um, like making it easier to create emotional stories? So I um I do have a process and I what I do and what I have writers that I work with do is that we always start with the point. So what is it we're trying to say overall with this book? And again, it's not that you're having a moral of the story. It's just that you're a book is a story is about um some sort of universal understanding of the world and what is it that you're trying to say. And once you have a good handle on that, then the question is at the beginning of the book, where is the protagonist in relationship to that point? So probably not fully understanding it. Lisa Cron, um, who wrote Story Genius in there, she she talks about it as a misbelief. So the character is going to have a misbelief about that point you're trying to make in addition to probably many others. And then we think about the backstory. How did they get to that understanding? The key is to figure out what they want in the story that's in relation to that misbelief. So an example might be, um, sometimes the point comes out sounding a little bit like a cliche. So I'll just use a cliche. (laughs) Okay. So um, love conquers all. Let's say that's the point of your book that love is the answer to everything. Well, maybe at the beginning of the book, the character is very cynical about love and does not believe that love solves anything. And so what they want then is to maybe not ever be in a relationship. Maybe they're, uh, 
it's um a serial single person you know they just like bounce from one person to one person yeah a bachelor thank you (laughs) and so once we know what they want then we can think about what's at stake if they don't get it and that's going to increase the the stakes of the story. So what's at stake if they don't get it? And then where do we want them to end up? So they'll have a new belief, which is that love conquers all. That's what we're going to want them to believe at the end. And then, like I said before, in each scene, you just notice and understand and be intentional about where the protagonist is in relation to that change that we want them to make so that you're setting the tone for the scene and increasing the stakes within that scene. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. My favorite emotional scene is usually, and this is not going to surprise anybody, but it's usually the dark night of the soul. Um, So I don't know if you um, just, A, want to explain what the dark night of the soul is in case any listener doesn't know. Um, And secondarily, like whether or not you've got any advice for making that really raw and... um, yeah, that how how do you make it dark? For example, yeah, I don't know. What what yeah. advice do you have for that moment in this in the in a novel? So, I love this question, and I too love the Dark Knight of the Soul. So, the Dark Knight of the Soul usually follows the point in the story where the character realizes that all is lost. Right. So, they have. If we're looking at the external plot you know, they've like, everything has gone wrong. And if we're looking at the internal trajectory, they're at their lowest point. Like they have lost their misbelief. They don't believe that anymore, but they don't really have a full grasp on the new thing that they're working to understand. And so they're very lost. And I think most of us can relate to that feeling. I mean, it's a pretty human feeling to feel like, I don't know which end is up right now. I don't know what I'm doing. And so the dark night of the soul follows that where they're really reckoning with who am I? Who am I in relation to the events that are happening in the story? And who am I as a person? And what do I want for myself now? And I think that the way to, I mean, I don't have any specific off the top of my head tricks for making that raw, but I think that the key as the author is just to get so comfortable in being uncomfortable, just to be so like, (laughs) just so willing to be as vulnerable as the character is in that moment. And Take away the one thing they want, right? Yeah, just, I mean, and we're not trying to just make them suffer, but- Aren't we? It's like, (laughs) I know. Well, sometimes we are. I suppose it depends on the story. But but it's like their skin is just raw and exposed. You know, they're just feeling every feeling. And if you as the writer, as we, if we as the writer can get into that, that mindset of just everything is- everything's lost. Like, what am I going to do now? And just be really vulnerable with that. I do a lot of journaling through that time when I'm writing that kind of scene. And I, um, I write about times where I felt like that 
if I'm not currently feeling like that, which sometimes I am. And um, yeah, so that helps me. That would be my one tip. But I think just being really vulnerable and willing to go there. Yeah, I, I always think like, think about the scariest thing that you've ever done. And the the moment before you stepped off the bungee ledge or the moment before you stepped out of the plane or the moment before you said, I quit my day job or like, the darkest, like the, the, the action that they have to take coming out of the darkest night, that is the feeling that is the, the, that vulnerability and that rawness and that fuck, I don't know if this is going to work or not kind of feeling, but yeah, it's funny because I both love the dark night of the soul and often find it difficult to write it. Not, not because it's so emotional, but because because <laughs> I, I want to make it really dark. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I'm never like, I'm never sure, if like I've taken it too far, or like I haven't taken it quite far enough. Like I always think it's a really tricky uh, balance to to strike because, as well as yes, like you say, it's not just about making them suffer; it's about making them suffer in the right way and mm-hmm. tapping into that raw wound that has been plaguing them throughout the novel and. And it's like a moment of pure bravery that has to come out the other side. And like, if you, if listeners have never pushed themselves to do anything extraordinarily brave, like go book at something, go do something, because like that butt clenching moment, that's what you need to convey. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, um, sometimes if you're in a really dark place in your own life, like if you're experiencing depression or if you're just, if you've lost, you know, you're experiencing grief or some kind of loss and just like getting up and doing the next thing sometimes is the most brave thing you can do in that moment too. Completely. And those those moments are juxtapositions, right? So you've got the darkest night and then you've got the moment after the darkest night, which is the lightest moment, of course. And so you've, you have to tap into both of those, like the, the, the bravery to step out and that like, whatever the darkest moment you've ever experienced in your life, like that is what you need to tap into that yeah. those emotions and the complexity of those emotions, not just sadness, not just grief, like, but a whole cocktail of like all of that wrapped up in the complexities of human feelings. Right. Um, yeah. Ugh. Well, and I think it's important too, because we're, we're talking about pretty dark stuff, you and I, yeah. and I think we have that in common, Yeah. but there are many stories where the dark night of the soul is really not all that dark in the scheme of things. Like, a relationship has ended and they're, they're bummed about that. And it's it like, but that's still major within the context of the story. So we still have to like, even if what we're writing is more lighthearted, I think we still have to be willing to go to those dark places in ourselves in order to write what the character needs so that yeah. we're honoring their emotions, even if the situation isn't life or death or yeah, you know, the worst thing. Well, because it has to feel real, right? We've all been dumped or we've all broken up with people. We all know how much that that hurts. Yeah, um, it feels like the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Exactly. Uh, or unless you're me, then you want to spite and get over it. 
<laughs> anyway, let's not go down that road. Right. Okay. So how do you know where your character should stumble or backtrack? You mentioned that r- right early on in the, the interview, um, but like specifically in their character arc and how do you make that uh, like backtrack feel realistic and not convenient and not cliched and not um, like they're just going through the motions? Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a right answer for that that like is the right answer for every story. Um, I think about life where, you know, we take two steps forward in an area in our life and then take a step back. Like we eat really healthy for a few days and then we eat an entire pizza. Like that's just, (laughs) that's just how life goes. Um, we have to remember our character's not going to learn what they need to learn in one fell swoop. And I think that that is the part that would be unrealistic, right? Is if the emotional trajectory just kept going in a straight line up toward the goal. Yeah. I'm the and poster so- child for that. I have strengths coaching and literally like I saw to got my coach has to tell me the same fucking thing, like at least three times before I actually listen. No, I listen yeah. before I learn it, before it goes in and I stop making the same mistake. Right. Well, oh. that's a really key thing to think about too, is the backsliding is going to happen in bigger ways toward the beginning of the story, because we all have, I'm not a psychologist, but we all have thought patterns that we are used to having, right? Like we're used to falling into worrying about things or we're used to thinking negatively about something. And that's just easier because we've always done it. And so to change that is hard and it we're going to make bigger mistakes in the beginning and smaller mistakes as we get closer to our goal. So that's one thing I would say is, you know, bigger backslides happen toward the beginning of the story. Um, I don't think there need to be a lot of backslides. I would say like three-ish, maybe three or four. Um, And sometimes the backslide is just like they yell at someone when they've been trying to not react that way, you know? And so it's not like a life-altering action that they've taken. It's just a small thing. It's just about humanizing our protagonists and being really intentional. And I, again, I'm really visual, so I map it out ahead of time. Um, Sometimes I think the plot dictates that too, you know? So it just, it kind of depends on the story, which I don't think is a really helpful answer, but (laughs) no, that's my... Romance is probably a really easy one to talk or to reference because it's push-pull. Like the every yes. chapter, every, like they get closer, they pull away. They get closer, they get pull away. And I suppose like, if not that anybody can see me gesturing, but my arms are now stretched out wide. And each time they push-pull, it's like they get slightly closer, that they 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 push slightly further and the pull is slightly less. And so in yes. the end, they, they like meet right in the middle. Um, it's so romantic and lovely. Uh, I know I it is so romantic. And I love, I mean, the gesturing is great. You know, I've been gesturing this whole, yeah. this whole call. So, <laughs> um, but we're, it is, it's, yes, it's exactly that. And so if you can think about that sort of inverted, if the, if there's just one protagonist and it's not so much about the relationship, then they're kind of going up and then they go down a lot and then they go up a little bit more and then they go down not quite as far and you know absolutely 
Okay. Um, and I think you sort of talked a little bit about this earlier, but any final um, advice on making emotions feel real and not cliched? So like the age old advice is to show, not don't tell. But yeah, I just wondered if you could dive a little bit into that or anything else, like any final tips and tricks for um, making emotions better? Yeah, well, I think we've covered a lot of it. Um, certainly showing, not telling, although that's so complicated. <laughs> we could do an entire episode on that, probably. Um, I think that the key is just to be really clear from the beginning, even if you're even if you're somebody who wants to write your way into the story, I think if it, you can at least have a clear understanding of where your character is at the beginning emotionally and where they are going to get at the end, then at least you have a destination. You have a starting place and a destination, and that's going to help you stay on track with it. And then um, just in each scene, being really intentional about knowing where is my character, how is my character coming into this scene emotionally and how are they going to leave this scene emotionally and just keeping track of that so that it's not that they're just reacting to events. It's that you have a plan for why they're reacting to those events that way. Would it horrify you to know that I don't do emotion until draft two? No, it wouldn't <laughs> horrify me at all. In fact, I'm a, um, I mean, I am a planner, so I'm going to own that. I love to plan out as much as I can before I start writing, but I also have really started to embrace the idea of just, even if I've done all that planning, I need to get something on the page before I can flesh out this story for real, because all the planning and post-it notes in the world are not the actual story. What's the actual story is what comes out on the page. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> it's such a fucking bad I know, <laughs> it's so annoying. And so, and you can, I think you can, I have done this. You can actually plan too much and kill the, the anyway, that's a different conversation too. But I think you can, I think you can sometimes go overboard in thinking about that. And that is my tendency. Um, I think that we have to get a draft onto the page. If it's a, uh, I have a book coach friend that calls it a zero draft. And so it's just, just get it out the bare bones of it, however it comes out. And then you start to layer in all of the things and emotions can certainly be part of that too. Yeah, that's so that I I call it my chaos draft. And mm-hmm. I, I tend to, I, I outline, but like not in massive amounts of deep. I have like an A3 page and post-its and, what doesn't go on there isn't in the outline. But yeah. my point is, is that I tend to uh, draft quick and dirty and I do the plot, the dialogue and the big emotions. And then all of that nuanced emotion gets woven in when I'm then editing in the in that, that first pass. Because, because it's too... Because for me, I need to slow down and I can't be slow on the first draft because if I'm slow, mm-hmm. I will cr- I will start, the critical voice starts to come in. And I've only really learned this about myself recently, but the faster I write, the better the book. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but I, I really, like literally just this week, I emailed my writing coach and I was like, I'm pretty sure I had an, uh, like some kind of unconscious bias that like fast books weren't like good. And then I was like, except this is like the best book I've ever written. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I wrote it really fast. And uh, I, I'm just like, yeah, because I didn't allow any critical voice in there. And I got down the things that um, like are all the fast paced first. And then I then took the time to weave in that detail and that complexity afterwards, like in the edits. But anyway, I'm just boxing on now. But um, also for listeners, that does not mean that that's the correct way for you guys to do it. Everybody has their own process. Uh, I'm yes. just explaining mine. Which um, is what I think is so important is that a lot of times we listen to writers talk about their process and especially newer writers think, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to do it. And there's no right way to do it. It's just all of these things are things to keep in mind Absolutely. and aim to have. In, right, experiment with, play with, have fun with it, you know? Yeah. The right and way like, for a listener to write the book is the way that gets them to the end of the book. Yes. That's it. That's it. There is nothing else. However you no. get to the end of the book, that is the right way to do it. Yes, And I think that not every book is the same. I'm working on my second book right now and the process is completely different. So So I think we just wrote, I think 18 books out of order. And this last book I wrote in order. I have literally never done that before. I can't explain to you. Yeah, I know. And like, that was a lot of books to write out of order to then go and write in order. But how does it feel to write it in order? Um weird (laughs) yeah I I was nervous that I was going to put too much fluff in um because the the reason I like writing out of order is because I can keep my transitions nice and quick and I don't write any crap uh in between the chapters or like stuff you know uh, stitching things together because you just keep to the core scenes um so that's why I used to do that but then um I followed a very particular trope Uh, which has a plot structure Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason that the way that story came out was in order and I can't I don't know why I I still don't know why my coach doesn't really know why but it happened (laughs) so I love it yeah and I'm just starting to outline book two uh ready to write in January and I have a feeling that one's going to come out in order as well. And I don't know why. It's just what they, it's what they want to do. They have a mind of their own, these stories. So I think we just have to, we just have to roll with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. I love this question so much. And I, (laughs) I knew you were going to ask me and I thought, how am I going to answer this? Because I, I mean, I am, have always been a good girl. And I put that in quotes because it's a garbage thing to say in general, but I, um, so it's a funny question for me, right? Like being a rebel is not in my repertoire so much, but I will say that. So I said, I quit teaching three times, uh, before it actually stuck, uh, for a variety of reasons, but The first time I left teaching was after a pretty devastating personal loss. And it was the first time that I realized, because I had always been someone who lived up to other people's expectations of me, that I could change the narrative and actually take care of myself instead of suffering while trying to keep up appearances and doing what was expected. And so even though I ended up going back, uh, a couple of years later, that was 
that was probably my, my biggest rebel moment. <laughs> what did it teach I you? wish it was something exciting, like, but I think it jumping, is. But... No, I think that is exciting because you changed your own narrative, right? And that yeah. is, that is so powerful. Like so many of us don't ever change our narratives. And so we get stuck. And like, that is what rebellion is about. It's about changing something to give you back your joy or to find that spark that's inside of you. And that's why I talk about rebellion all of the time, because I really think that we all can, we all can change. We can all rebel and say no and take the power back for ourselves. Like I think so much of society strips us of power and suppresses us and pushes us down and tries to shove us into these fucking boxes of of like expectation. And like, I hate that so much. I hate it for everybody. Like, I know I talk about being dead on the inside, but like if there's one thing that I can change when I, like before I die, it's to help as many people as possible to like find their inner power. And like, I think we do that by rebelling. So yeah, I love that. Like I I actually really love that rebellion. So thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Okay, tell everyone where they can find out more about you and like your books and services, anything else that you would like to add. Well, I have a page for your listeners. So it's hellowriters.net slash rebel author and everything's on there. So it's just really easy. My newsletter's on there. My quiz for writers on there. You can book a free call with me on there. It's all right there. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a bunch of bonus content, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Stephanie Detlefs, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Anna Bartolucci, and we're going to be talking all about sleep and creativity. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.